Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Almost Sideways podcast, where we talk everything about movies, even if they're not coming out. But uh, we'll talk about that a little later. Uh, we're uh, This is episode 66. We're in program 66, Zach. Program 66. I get yeah. it. Haha. Yeah. Haha. Yeah. Uh, I'm Terry Plecknett. As always, with me are Todd Plecknett and Zach Saltz. Hey, happy birthday, Zach. Thank you. Has it been a good day so far? Uh, sitting in uh, quarantine, yeah, sure. It's been it's been a blast. <laughs> Always how I envisioned my birthday going. It's it, yeah. Th- this is this is definitely weird times for sure, for sure. Uh, Todd, how's it going with you? Uh, good. I I just watched Uncut Gems again, finally for the second time, and it is still definitely the best movie of last year. I have it now, but I haven't watched it yet. I'm going. I'm hopefully doing that soon. But uh, seeing yeah. as you put it as your number five of the decade, I don't think you were going to go back on your number one of the year <laughs> upon rewatching it. That is true. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't backtrack at all, though. It, it, it's definitely rightly placed in the top five of the decade. When awesome. you watch a movie that, that that's that good, do you ever like get nervous watching it again? Like when I saw it in the bedroom for the first time, I didn't watch that movie for like five years after I saw it. Like I didn't watch it again until two thousand six because I thought it was such a perfect movie and it was like so, I, and I didn't want to notice any flaws in it. Obviously, you don't feel that way, but I don't know. It was it was. It's a oh weird no, thing I definitely sometimes. do feel that. Way. There's still movies in my top one hundred I've only seen once. Like I was nervous because I was I, I didn't want to ruin Uncut Gems for me, but. Watching it again was just, I, it was still just as much anxiety as the first time. Like, uh, my buddy I was watching it with, like, the opening credits hadn't even ended yet, and he said he already was feeling stressed out. I was like, that's a good sign. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, good, good. Uh, Zach, what are you drinking today? I'm having some of my, the last of my Costco wine that's increasingly uh, worrying me. Uh, one of the many uh, stages of anxiety of this quarantine is uh, not being able to, to refill my wine. Uh, you know, toilet paper, eh, you know, soap, hand sanitizer, yeah, we can live without it. But, but wine, that's, that's going to be a problem. Yeah, how how are we uh, how are we gonna do another podcast if you don't have any Costco wine? I it's you know p- podcast. Uh, how am I gonna live without Costco wine? Really, that's <laughs> that's the real question. Uh, Todd, what do you got? Well, shockingly, the lines at Total Wine and the shelves were not empty. So I mean, I was able to still go shopping, and I am drinking vodka mixed with mango nectar, and I love drinking nectar with vodka because it completely like dissolves all the alcohol taste it just is way too thick and uh mango is pretty much the best flavor you can get nice nice so i've got um i've got this beer here my wife got me this beer um because she said it was a perfect beer for the podcast because it's weird um this beer is uh out of dogfish head brewery which uh i saw this the other day is out of milton delaware so yes, there actually is stuff in Delaware, um, and it is called the Sequench Ale. 
And uh, yeah, it's made with lime juice and lime peel and black limes and sea salt. It's a sour, which I'm usually not a fan of. And I mean, it's a sour, so I mean, I'm drinking it, but that's about all I can say about it. But it's got a cool name. I'd be disappointed if you didn't try to figure out what the beer was that he drinks in the movie that we're going to review. Oh, oh yeah, that, yeah. I'm pretty one. sure it's not real, but I, he does. I'm pretty sure too. It is a very prominent, uh, prominent can. It is, it is. All right, well, before we get into, uh, into the movie we're going to review, I mean, this, this has been a really weird week. This is, uh, we're recording, it is, uh, March 15th at about 6.15 p.m., uh, Pacific Daylight Time, uh, and the the uh, coronavirus has kind of taken over the world and shut down America, um, and I mean all the things that we we love and enjoy as our as our escapes are escaping us. So um, Zach, I wanted to I, w- I was wondering what are your thoughts on uh, on just kind of the week that has been. Uh it's it's interesting i mean i think we've gone from like sort of making fun of it and not taking it too seriously to like you know really wondering about the future of the way we live and um i think it's i i think we're in for a long 12 to 18 months i don't think it's like 12 to 18 weeks i think it's like uh i have a hard time believing that the major sports leagues will will come back i have a hard time believing we're going to have the olympics i have a hard time believing that or at least uh you know in in a in a format that we're we're used to seeing um without some substantial changes and modifications made to it um and uh, yeah, I, th- I think it kind of sucks. Now, I don't live in Oregon or Washington like either of you do. I mean, we've only had, you know, eight confirmed cases where I live and people are still kind of, you know, not taking it too seriously. I, I can't imagine what it's like uh, on the West Coast right now. Yeah, kind of mass hysteria, I would say. And it's been interesting. It, it was because it was like, you're right, it was making fun of it and kind of making light of it to, oh, I mean, this is something we you know, just kind of be careful a little bit. And then it turned into, uh, as soon as, as soon as Rudy Gobert yeah, and was Tom the, Hanks had the NBA. it, it was the NBA game that I it, think flipped everything. The NBA it, it was, it was. Yeah. And, uh, and all of a sudden everything turned in one day. And I remember it was like, like, I remember Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday night was one thing. And then Thursday night in 24 hours, everything everything's shifted and everything changed um todd you're you're up in like uh ground zero in uh in washington even more than i am what's it uh what's it like up there uh yeah people are crazy like the stores are completely sold out of all paper products and it's just i don't know it's weird but i think i also think it's a it's a little ridiculous how people are treating it i i mean but I mean, they're canceling sports. They're canceling. They're pushing back movies. Like they're canceling poker tournaments. Where does it end? All of the things I care about. <laughs> I have the week off, and I have nothing to do. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another thing. Is that uh, originally we we had moved this podcast to today because I had planned to go this week to Iowa to visit the first legal sports book um, in the state of Iowa that had opened up uh, last fall in Des Moines because I was going to do some betting on the Big Twelve tournament and other tournaments and I had to cancel that trip. I mean, come on, you know, it's terrible. Well, Mo- and we scheduled 
my enjoyment. My enjoyment. It's just, you know, ruined. I also my birthday found out that there is one, uh, there was a sports book in Oregon that Terry did not take me to, which I am what? upset about. Yeah, okay, we're Link- going to have to find it next time. You know, so you next said it was in Lincoln City. Open. Yeah, it's a casino in Lincoln City. There's one sports book in Oregon. Oh. Okay, we'll go there next time you're down here. Which is which is kind of the perfect place for a sports book if you're going to make one in Oregon. It's true. It really is. Um, yeah. Uh, I completely forgot what I was going to say now, but, uh, <laughs> oh yeah. So, and then we have, we have this scheduled, we had it scheduled for later in the day today, even because today was supposed to be selection Sunday. Right. Todd's got the week off because of March madness. Uh, it, it's, it's really interesting just how it has, has derailed everything. Zach and I are, are off work for two weeks at least. Well, we School's not meeting. We're uh, my school's doing some online learning, so I've got stuff to do all week still. But uh, but yeah, and and probably for longer. School's up by Todd or closed till the end of April. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy, and it's funny that I mean, there's some been some drastic measures taken in the last week, but I think it's all in all for safety and all to be smart. But it's gotten everyone into like mass hysteria and panic. So. Mm-hmm. I, it it's it's crazy it really is um but we're gonna still try and have some fun here and uh and talk about some movies and uh and uh see what we get um one thing we're gonna try we've been talking about this a little bit trying to throw something together here but we've been noticing with all the movies getting pushed back and film festivals canceling and everything uh we're gonna try and do like a like an almost sideways film festival uh, where we just pick a movie that's easily accessible through streaming, like Netflix or Amazon Prime or something, and uh, and set a showtime when we all get online and watch it, and then we'll do like a like a reaction afterwards that you guys can interact with us, uh, something like that. But um, look for something coming out on that uh, pretty soon because we've got this time, and so why not uh, why not use it and have some fun with it and. Uh, and get some community when uh, that's like the one thing we're not allowed to have is human interaction. So let's do digital human interaction. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes, and we'll see. Uh, we'll see when that uh, actually works out. Okay, well, let's let's talk about a movie here, and uh, instead of our depressing lives right now, let's actually talk about the the escape that we love, and that's movies. And uh, we're gonna get into our movie review here. And uh, the movie we're going to be talking about today is uh, a new movie came out, oh gosh, it's been out for like two weeks now, hasn't it? Uh, And this is the latest movie uh, by Gavin O'Connor, and it stars Ben Affleck, it is called The Way Back. You're nervous. I get it. Truth is, I'm more talented than you. Probably got a better coach. But I promise you, they are not a better team. They haven't been through what we've been through. They don't know adversity. They don't know what it's like to get knocked down and have to get back up again. They don't know what it is to fight. Who are we? Redemption story of a former high school high school star played by Ben Affleck, high school basketball star, uh, named Jack Cunningham, who uh, his life is really derailed and uh, into all sorts of issues, and you find out why throughout the movie. 
Um, and he is asked to come back and coach his, uh, his high school basketball team uh, at his alma mater. And being a part of that kind of brings him out of the, uh, the uh, downward spiral he was in. Um, I gotta admit, watching the trailers and seeing the, seeing the basic idea of what it was about, my thought immediately was, oh, this is like Hoosiers if like Shooter was the main character. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I mean, that, that, cause that's kind of the basic gist of what the, what the story is. Um, as he, uh, as he, he's this troubled guy who kind of uses this to, to get out of his troubles. Um, I'm gonna be honest, I was not a big fan of this. Uh, I thought, uh, it couldn't decide if it wanted to be a story about the character or if it wanted to be a basketball story. Um, and it ended up doing both poorly because it couldn't decide which one it wanted to be. Uh, ben Affleck is amazing uh, in it, and it's one of his better performances in a while, and especially you could tell, I mean, it, a lot of publicity uh, was out there about how it was uh, very much a, a personal story for him as he's kind of been battling some of his own demons recently. But uh, I didn't feel like the basketball was very good. The, baske the, the uh, basketball scenes were very smart. Um, Outside of just a couple, it, it would like drop a couple things like we're gonna do this defense, and go, and then the practices were like running, and that was it. And uh, and try harder because I stopped drinking. Oh, okay, and then it and then it, they all got better. Um, and uh, and then the human interest stuff. It and and his redemption arc, it it didn't spend enough time on it because it was too busy doing a bad job telling the telling the basketball story. So. I don't know. I was, I was, I was disappointed by it. I it could have been so much better, um, especially with the types of uh, of basketball movies we've had out there. Um, it, I I wanted it to be better, and I'm I'm shocked it's been getting as good of reviews as it is. I mean, it's what like eighty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes, something like that. I just don't see it. Uh, I'm giving it two stars, um, and pretty much all that is because Ben Affleck is uh, is really really good in it. But, uh, but yeah, two stars, and honestly, this this either needed to cut out some of the stuff it was doing or be at least like a half hour to 45 minutes longer so it could do everything the justice it deserved to tell a decent story. So, Zach, where are you at with this one? All right, well, Terry, I'm going to disagree with you quite a bit on this movie. I, I actually thought this was a really effective and well-done uh, movie. Um, I think it's getting a lot of praise because of what you said about some of the parallels between uh, the Ben Affleck character in this movie and kind of some of his own personal struggles with alcoholism that he's talked about pretty candidly in some interviews recently. Um, but I kind of think regardless of that, this is actually a really strong uh, character study. Um, I agree with some of the criticisms that you have, though. I don't think it's a movie that fully um, understands basketball in some of the ways that other sports movies have, like Hoosiers, for example. You know, I mean, I think that's that's like the gold standard of not just basketball movies, but sports movies in general. And uh, I also think that um, given its limitations in its kind of approach to being a mass sort of popular film, it was always going to have to submit to some level of sports cliches. I mean, that's just sort of who Gavin 
Gavin O'Connor is. If you watch Warrior, it's sort of the same thing. I mean, one of the best things about Gavin O'Connor movies, I think, is he has a really kind of distinctive visual look that makes his films um, a lot grittier and therefore, I think, more, I don't know, realistic and um, just, uh, I think, compelling in, the, in that sense. Um, this movie, I think, suffers the same problem as Warrior does, which is just, it, it's just kind of corny and cliched at times. So it, it's far from, from from a perfect movie, but I think, Terry, you're being way too hard on this movie. I think the, the good very much overwhelms the bad in this movie. I think that the, the struggle here is that you're kind of right. The movie never really decides whether it wants to be a basketball movie or a movie about a guy with alcoholism. Um, and But but to me, it, that's like less of a flaw with the movie, more than like, these are actually two really compelling stories. I, and I, I it, it doesn't merge them perfectly, but when it goes from being about basketball to his struggles with alcoholism, it's, it's not an abrupt uh, shift. It's like, to me, it's like a good kind of natural shift. Um, and I actually kind of like that the movie, if you're going to fault the movie for not understanding basketball, which I think is valid, you know, he, he talks about how they're going to go to, they're, they're going to play a, a, a press defense like the whole game. Uh, and the movie never really shows that in depth, and it doesn't really account for how much better they get over the course of time. Um, that's because the movie's more interested in his personal uh, journey as a recovering alcoholic. And I, I, the, frankly, that part of the movie is more compelling to me than the parts involving basketball. Now, I will say my biggest flaw with this movie besides, uh, is, is something that's a little bit of a spoiler, so I'm just going to point out spoiler alert a little bit, which is that for the first 45 minutes of this movie, you just kind of see Ben Affleck as this alcoholic sort of drifter who drinks an astonishing amount of beer on Thanksgiving. I mean, that scene is pretty remarkable. But we never really understand why he's an alcoholic. And then it kind of reveals it, which is that his kid died. And it's like, come on, that is that that to me is like cliche central, okay? Why do we have to have his kid die to generate sympathy for him? Like, he's obviously a guy who has struggles. We don't need that backstory. To me, it's a distraction from the movie and does make it very sort of Hollywood uh, sentimentalized. So that uh, on that count, I agree with you. I wish the movie had just made him uh, struggle. He had enough struggles in his own life dealing with um, the, the, the dysfunctional relationship he had with his father. Why didn't the movie just settle for that? We don't need the dead kid. Uh, not to sound crass, but it's just kind of my, my thoughts. Anyway, though, on the whole, I, I enjoyed this movie. I appreciated it. I thought Ben Affleck was great in it, and it uh, it compelled me pretty much from start to finish. I give it a solid three stars, closer to three and a half stars than two and a half stars. So maybe like 3.25 stars. See, and for me, the, uh, the whole side story of his kid dying was like the one thing that pulled me into that part of the story. I, for me, that was that that was the one thing that that drew me in and no, made me funny. care about that part. Um, well, they were totally opposite I, on this movie. That's that's funny. yeah, we are we are. I, and 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 I disagree. I didn't feel I felt it was so disconnected, and you couldn't connect with either part because of how none of it gave any any motives or anything. I don't I don't know. Todd. So we know what Todd's doing. Todd, are, are Todd you, are in you the middle, right? Us or uh, yeah, uh, obviously I'm between the two of you. <laughs> obviously. Uh. <laughs> It's so funny how I do this every time too. That I pick what like the one that's the low or the one, and then this one that, and then the last one is always the one that's in the middle. We don't. Plan we don't. These we things. don't plan these ahead of time. <laughs> you have to know that. Well, I think what we all agree on is the movie struggles with mood swings. Like there are, I, I don't think it ever really graphs like a uh, the type of mood it wants for any individual scene because there's like the inspirational parts and there's the downer parts, but it never really blends into a movie that really resembles a, a finished product. I guess, and yeah, and it's actually right. I, I feel like the the kid dying thing was totally tacked on, and I don't know if it was necessarily deserved, but uh, everything to do with the sports movie stuff, I feel like is cliche. You know, you got like the the best player who has a troubling home life, the like 
backstory of the coach, that is a little uh, secret, I guess. You have the hotshot player who talks back, and uh, and it, but it's like a ragtag team who isn't all that talented, but they have like grit and determination, and they, uh, they fight their way to being kind of successful. But I feel like the re- reason why the movie works is just because of Affleck. Like, if you had a contemporary in that part, like a John Hamm or like Anthony Mackie or whoever would have been cast in that part, I don't know if it works because the movie is so self-reflexive and so close to Affleck. And I, I, I kind of think the basketball scenes actually look like they're actually playing, which is really rare, because I don't think there are any really great basketball movie, movies other than Hoosiers, but I feel like the movie actually is not cut in a way that it's so quick that you could tell the actors don't know what they're doing. They actually look like players, which I would kind of appreciate it, because I feel like we never, ever see that. But, I mean, Gavin O'Connor can make these movies that are just totally, like, tough guy movies. Like, I mean, I think Pride and Glory is his best one, but, the, like, Warriors more of a parallel to this, I guess, because it's really, like, melodramatic, uh, over-the-top emotional scenes mixed with the sports stuff. And I, I think Affleck is really good. He, I think it is one of his best performances. He, like, un- he's able to look mopey by design, which I think really helps him. And the sporting cast, I think, is fine. They're, it's like, you got, like, the Shiva and, like, uh, like three American Vandal actors randomly in this movie. But I, I, I think they're all just, like, in the background. Like, it's an Affleck movie for sure. And I, I, I feel like as it goes, as a, as it draws to the end of the movie, I, I don't, I don't really know that uh, all the emotions that it's trying to push actually work. And it has kind of a complicated aftertaste, but I, I still feel like it, it's a fine movie. It's, it's not a special movie, and it's, it's a solid two and a half star movie. It, it's worth watching, but I, I wouldn't really necessarily recommend it as a, as a good movie. I, I had no idea that that was the Shiva until you mentioned that. That is amazing. That was the first thing I thought. I was like, Shiva, come in, Isama. <laughs> <laughs> Zach has no idea what we're talking about. No. no it, it's a league thing. Okay. Um, yeah, it's I, either the I, league or so, Dexter. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Uh, I will agree that the basketball scenes, they did look like they knew how they were playing basketball, but it also, like... The whole thing doesn't make sense. Like, Ben Affleck comes in and shouts at them, and all of a sudden they're better. I, that, that, that's really... And he doesn't even shout, like, intelligible things. He just, like, cusses at them and screams at them, and all of a sudden they start winning games. Because they're kids, that's not and true. They're, they're, they're at a Christian or Catholic whatever school, and it's... I mean, they, they never get any motivation because they have, like, a priest sitting on the bench with them that doesn't allow... The coach get emotional like he gets emotional kicks him in the butt and then they're like oh, they're like all right well, let's go fight for this especially that that like 30 year old senior they had the the power forward <laughs> and i think terry i think terry is is way wrong on this they don't get better because he yells at them in fact the first few games they show him yelling at the team they still lose those games they, they get better when they go to the press and i think that's really realistic in basketball if you have an undersized team and you do something gimmicky like the press that no team is used to um have running an offense against that that's where you can run into problems that's why he's having them run up and down the stadium stands like that that to me actually made sense and one of my flaws in the movies i i wish that they had shown maybe a little bit more clearly how he trained them to run the press effectively because i could believe that they, that their season could turn around because they did something like that exactly and that's and that's my one of my biggest things it's like yeah you you said you're doing it and then all of a sudden they oh they won without even really showing them actually run it i it well I, yeah and and then the and then the only other time we the only instead we spend time with him 
shouting from the top of the stands at practice to tell his point guard to be louder. I, I mean, that's... That was a good scene. Like, that that, that, that was, I thought, a really effective I, scene. Yeah, I feel like that's yes, probably the yes, first the, time the point guard ever yelled in his life, which I think was the, exactly. that's the point. It was, it was, that was really effective. Yes, the point guard being louder did allow him to bring the ball across half court without it getting stealed. That, getting stolen. That is that is what made that, that happen. Because the first time they played, the first game he played, or he coached, it was stolen at half court every single time for a dunk. Every single time. And then, you know, he got loud. So, and he started, he started shouting. So then, you know, he could dribble the ball better. I don't know. It, it just... Uh, it it didn't. Terry, show you're telling enough. me that you've never seen a team at LEST do a gimmick stunt like that and have success doing it, even though they were vastly overmatched. I I'm not saying that. I'm saying they did a terrible job showing it. Like they they could have the yeah. It it tried to say it tried to show that it knew something about basketball, and because of it was trying too much to be a human interest story, it ended up showing that it knew very little about basketball that's all well, i have but, to say but if it wanted to know more about basketball why wouldn't why wouldn't it show the games more in depth it, it made a i think gavin o'connor made a conscious decision that this is a movie about an alcoholic who happens to be a basketball coach i don't think the movie i think the movie preferred looking at this guy as a character study and the basketball was kind of the backdrop of it i mean you can criticize the movie on those grounds but i don't think i don't think gavin o'connor would say he was trying to show the nuances of of basketball you know Another thing that put me off, and and this is just a, a pet peeve of mine, when you put the last shot of the movie in your trailer, I mean, come on, <laughs> come on. Like I, I'm watching the movie, I'm like, that that is the last shot. That is gonna be the last shot, and it's in the trailer. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So no. I wouldn't have thought. So I don't like it. So there was, a, there was a really good article posted on The Ringer a few days ago, Bill Simmons' website, and the title of the article was, What if Ben Affleck had stayed on the Kansas basketball team in The Way Back? Which is a big plot point in the movie, which is that he gives up his full-ride scholarship. And so this article speculates what would have happened on the 96 team, because he, he, he would have played with, Ray, uh, with uh, Rafe LaFrance and Scott Pollard and Jacques Mon. And um, this guy speculates that he, you know, uh, the Ben Affleck character would have won, like, Big 12 Player of the Year, and they would have gone pretty far. It's actually a really funny article to read, and then it kind of talks about how he, he would have married a cheerleader, and they would have settled down in Lawrence, and maybe he would have been basketball coach at Lawrence High School, which is where I teach. So I could be friends with the Ben Affleck character in this movie had he chosen to stay in Lawrence. I don't know why you'd ever leave Lawrence, but why would you? Why would you have gone to Kansas though? Like, who was Roy Williams coach then at that time? Yes. Yeah. I don't. Know. I mean, I, feel, I still feel like UCLA would have been the spot for him to go. But I mean, obviously well, he was probably he, rec- he was recruited. I'm sure by UCLA. But why would you ever go? Why wouldn't you go to KU? I mean, it's the mecca of basketball. Dr. James Naismith. You know, it, it's it's mecca. I also like how his construction job looks like. It's just like Chucky from Goodwill Hunting, like if he was in California instead of Boston. I was thinking the same thing the first ten minutes. Good call. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, I think this is a movie that uh, I, I I find it funny that every time we're split, and there's one that hates it, one that loves it, and one in the middle. You should just give it three stars, now. Todd. You, not, you, you didn't have any major criticisms of this movie. Just give it thumbs up. 
Uh, well, I mean, it, it is, like, two and a half stars is sort of like the, like, the gutless medium ground where it's, like, it's halfway. Exactly. Have some balls. It's, it's more of a thumbs up than a thumbs down. There you go. Terry, you're in the minority. See, and I, and I looked at, I looked at it, too, that, that two and a half stars was kind of the gutless space, so I dropped it down to two. Because I just was not impressed. Not impressed. All right, so I'm giving it two stars. Todd's giving it two and a half. Zach's giving it... 3.25. Uh, yeah, 3.25. Uh, definitely not thrice approved. We're, we're going like one and a half approved. Something like that. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, all right. So that's the that's the uh, way back, and uh, which is still in theaters if you are willing to brave the theaters at this uh, at this time. That could be um, the last movie we see in theaters for who knows when. Yeah, that movie Gosh. might be in theaters for like six months. <laughs> I I, heard, I was seeing a lot of people post on like Twitter and stuff. It's like, all right, here's your best picture lineup: number one, The Way Back; number two. Onward, number three. Onward won the box office with like $9 million this weekend. (laughs) What did? Onward. Yeah. Like that, That, that's bad. I mean, that's not only a huge drop, but that's got to be the lowest box office weekend win, like, in years. Like, years and years. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Well, before I move on to our next thing, uh, we have some movies that we want to talk about a little bit. Just kind of briefly, uh, I've been keeping everybody up to date on my journey through uh, through anniversary Oscar nominees that I haven't yet to watch, or I had yet to watch. And so there's been two that I've watched since the last time we met. Uh, the first one was uh, the 2000 film 102 Dalmatians, uh, which was nominated for Best Costumes. Um, yeah, that movie's terrible. Uh, the, the, first one, the first one is okay. I mean, these are the live action ones. The first one, you know, you've got you've got uh, Jeff Daniels as the as the main as the main guy, and you've got uh, the the henchmen are uh, are Hugh Laurie and uh, oh I don't know the actor's name Arthur Weasley from Harry Potter, um, and so I mean there you got some solid acting chops in there to go alongside Glenn Close as her evil maniacal uh, Cruella Deville. Uh, 102 Dalmatians just is horrible, though. I mean, it, you've you've got, you have a talking parrot that thinks he's a dog, and that that's, and 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 Corella Deville goes through conversion therapy, but somehow, the the sound of Big Ben ringing, uh, snaps her out of it. It it I don't know, it's weird, it's weird. I gave it oh what did I give it here? I think I gave it one star. One star. One wow. star for uh, 102 Dalmatians. It's harsh for um, such a big Oscar-nominated movie. I know, I know, I know. I, I, I will say, though, costumes were pretty good. That, and that was the best part. Uh, yeah. It, and uh, Owen Gruffitt was the uh, was the main character uh, in it. The main protagonist. Alongside uh, some random dude from Game of Thrones. That was kind of funny to see. Um... And then uh, the other movie I watched was uh, I I liked much more. It was the 1990 film Dick Tracy, um, directed by Warren Beatty, starring Warren Beatty and Madonna and Al Pacino, and Dustin Hoffman and James Caan. And I mean, there were this cast was huge. 
only a guy like Warren Beatty could put together a cast like this. And and for a, a classic comic book that everybody probably read. So uh, it was a lot of fun. It felt like it felt like a mix of like it almost felt like a Tim Burton movie. Maybe that was because it was right around like when it was a year after the original Batman came out that Tim Burton did and Danny Elfman did the music for both and that kind of tied it together a little bit. But um before you had stuff like Sin City and uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, this movie felt like a comic book as you were watching it. And it, it was it was like a comic book noir. Uh, Dick Tracy is Spider-Man noir, by the way. That's what I'm going with. Um it is it I gave it 3 stars. It was a lot of fun. Um a little over the top, but it's what you expect out of something like this. Uh yeah, I liked it. Todd, I know you saw that one recently, didn't you? No, I saw it a long time ago. Oh, okay. Pacino is what, what? ridiculously over the top, though. Oh, one yeah. One of the most Pacino absurd is, Oscar nominations ever. The, it is, uh, when when you think of, like, like what everyone thinks of with Pacino, it's it's Scent of a Woman and Dick Tracy. I mean, you, you just see him, and that is everyone's um, impression of of uh, impersonation of Al Pacino is him and Dick Tracy. Zach, have you seen either of those? I've seen Dick Tracy. It's been, I had a Dick Tracy lunchbox as a kid. I remember watching it as a kid. I have not seen it in a long time. What I was more interested in was the off-screen romance between Warren Beatty and Madonna that was portrayed uh, more realistically uh, in the documentary Madonna Truth or Dare, which is one of the great music documentaries that came out right around the same time as Dick Tracy, that I, and I rewatched that within the last year. That's a really good movie. I know that's a, that's a random tangent, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that movie, Todd, Madonna Truth or Dare? I have not. It's really good. It, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an awesome movie. Kind of trashy, right. but really good. <laughs> Well, Zach, I know you had a you had a movie you wanted to you wanted to oh, talk yes. about. Oh uh, yes, I I I'm keeping up uh, the tradition of uh, the Zach Award uh, binge. Um, this was a movie that I watched that received a nomination at the 2020 Central Ohio Film Critics Association for Actor of the Year, um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. And this is the film Loose, uh, a film that I wanted to see last year. Um, and, uh, oh boy, I gotta say, I really hated this movie. I couldn't actually believe how much I hated it. It, it, This this would be a movie that is on my bottom five of 2019 all of a sudden, if if we could go back and redo it again. It's, uh, it is basically Crash meets Doubt, and, uh, much more crash than doubt but basically it's uh, the story of a uh, uh, white couple played by Naomi Watts and uh, Tim Roth who played a much better married couple by the way in the remake of Funny Games and they have an adopted son from Eritrea played by Kelvin Harrison Jr. and yeah he's just like you know this this black kid who writes a very um, incendiary essay and gets into a lot of trouble and basically the movie wants to show how even black kids can be bad too which is basically the same lesson as crash and yeah i thought it was basically trash i thought it was terrible i couldn't believe how bad it was i thought it was pretty good i i i I thought the uh the what the ex-girlfriend andrea bang i thought she was one gave one of the best performances of last year i I give it three stars i i I, that's crazy yikes 
it, it was like it was like a, such an issue movie. It was like, okay, here's our thing about date rape. Here's our thing about interracial relationships. Here's our thing about uh, white parents of black children. Here's our thing about uh, uh, historical, uh, you know, um, uh, cultural appropriation. It wanted to be a big issue movie, and it was just so over the top and and mental illness too. Oh, this movie just it, it got worse and worse and worse as it went along. I actually couldn't believe how bad it was. I had really wanted to see it because it got good reviews, but and of course the Central Ohio Critics Association apparently liked it too. So uh, yeah, pr- pretty pretty big disappointment. So the Central Ohio Critics Association is that basically everything but Cincinnati and Cleveland? <laughs> uh, probably the Greater <laughs> Columbus area is my guess. <laughs> right, everything but Cincinnati and Cleveland. Yeah, Dayton. Yeah, that would be my guess. Dayton, possibly. Dayton. Yeah, maybe Dayton, Youngstown. Yeah, uh, Toledo, stuff like yeah. that. Akron. Akron. Akron's outside Cleveland. Okay, I don't know. I, I don't know Ohio that well. Come on, come on. Yeah, but you know LeBron. LeBron's from Akron, right outside Cleveland. That's true. Yeah, that's come true. on. Come on, man. We've only been out without sports for three days, and you're already forgetting everything. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can I mention uh, one more movie? Just uh, Sure. Because, you know, why Go not? For it. We're, we're, we're <laughs> in the middle of the, you know, the, the pandemic, so... Okay, uh, this is the complete flip side. So, because now we're dealing with this pandemic, I just got a subscription to Disney Plus this week, and I was not expecting to watch much on Disney Plus. My wife turned on a movie called Stargirl, which I thought looked like a Disney TV series. It just came out this past Friday. Mm-hmm. Kind of blew me away how good it was. Like, kind of out of nowhere, like a really good movie. It's by the director of um, Miss Stevens, which is a movie I really liked. Um, apparently, it's based on a book that apparently a lot of like people our age read when it came out, but I didn't know anything about it very like YA. Uh, it tells the story of a uh, girl uh, who goes to a high school. She's like new in town in Arizona, and uh, her name is Star Girl, and um, she's sort of like different. She's very like I'm the girl who plays her the actress who plays her is very much going for like a natalie portman in the late 90s vibe but it feels a little bit like a john hughes movie it feels a little bit like manic pixie dream girl at times but it's actually a really good movie and i think the message in it is also really good about basically um being yourself and i I mean i know it sounds kind of corny to say that but i think it's actually one of those kind of rare examples of a movie that would be really good to show for teenagers but you don't necessarily have to be a teenager to like it um i thought it was actually really well done i was not expecting at all to like Giancarlo Esposito is in it as well. Um, it had my attention. It was sweet. It was um, unpredictable. And uh, yeah, kind of out of nowhere, like a almost like borderline three and a half star film for me. I thought it was really kind of really good. So good job, Disney Plus. Do more films like that. Make your s- streaming service worth it. They've, they've had some interesting stuff come out. Honestly, I have yet to watch much of their original content. But there's definitely been some stuff that has intrigued me. Like they did, they did like the like the like Arctic survival movie with uh, Willem Dafoe. Uh, they did a a Christmas movie with Bill Hader and Anna Kendrick. I mean, they've got some things that look interesting, and uh, I must say this is one that did not look interesting. But no, I'm not watch all. It now I I mean I wasn't even really paying attention for the first fifteen minutes, and then it was like. But and then I saw who the director was. I remember really liking Miss Stevens. It's actually like a really good movie. I, I would highly recommend it. It's like really, really well done. Kind of out of nowhere. All right. Have maybe, you heard of it, that's... Todd? No, I've never heard of it. But I mean, I saw her movie last year, Fast Color, and that was I, I like that. Yeah, 
I heard that was really good too. It's worth checking out. Julia Hart's really talented, and 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 one of the writers is uh, Jordan Horowitz from uh, you know La La Land, and uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like good cast, good crew. It's very much worth checking out. Well, maybe this is one we uh, we watch as a part of our film festival, since it's a, a fairly. New I mean, movie. we don't we we don't got much else to do. Oh, and I, I, exactly. I, I will also say, Terry, I watched an episode of uh, Forky Explains Everything, or whatever it's called. And, oh, yeah, uh, Forky Asks on, a Question. For, Forky Asks a Question. I watched this yeah. episode all about love. <laughs> it, yeah, very, very illuminating. It, it is, it is. That was based on your recommendation. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The, the nice thing is they're, they're, like, at most five minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, uh, Todd, do you have any uh, any movies you want to report on quick? Uh, I, w- I watched the new Netflix movie Lost Girls, which is pretty much like a, a most um, mystery crime movies, but I mean, it's, it's almost like a series. It's almost like Sharp Objects if it was like in the 90 mi- minute version, and uh, I, it was good. I give it three stars. It just came out. Like, apparently Netflix has like 20 movies coming out in the next like two months, which is probably the best timing they could ever have good for timing. that. And uh, they, yeah, uh, Lost Girls is definitely worth watching. Amy Ryan is uh, tremendous. Well, it's Amy Ryan and uh, Thomas and Mackenzie, right? Yeah, all, I, she is awful though. Like, I mean, completely atrocious. Like, I I can't believe how phoned in her performance is. But Amy oh, Ryan wow. is great. <laughs> okay, okay, but you're still recommending the movie, which is good. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh let's move on from uh from the movies we've been watching and uh, start to do some of our. Uh, our fun stuff talking about all the other uh, things with movies, and we're going to move into our spotlight segment here and go into a Mount Rushmore. And this Mount Rushmore, in honor of The Way Back, is going to be all about Ben Affleck. So we're doing the Mount Rushmore of Ben Affleck. However, we're not specifying which part of Ben Affleck, right, guys? We're, this, this, could be, this could be acting, this could be writing, this could be directing. It's just the Mount Rushmore of Ben Affleck's career. Am I getting that right, Todd? I think that's what we decided. I think that's what we decided, too. Okay. So, uh, Todd, I'm going to go to you first. So, to remind everyone, the way we do this is we do um, kind of like an overall... Each of us pick one that's non-negotiable, and then uh, we debate over what our fourth fourth, uh, member of Mount Rushmore is going to be. Who's the Teddy Roosevelt, basically? Um, and, uh, so Todd gets to pick our George Washington. So there were like four or five that I was like really struggling to, uh, to pick between. And I went with the one that I knew you guys wouldn't choose. And that's his performance in Chasing Amy. Cause I, I feel like this a is, good one. uh, and Ben Affleck at his most emotional, like he's got like arrogance and sadness and humor and naivete. He like, he's, he's amazing. And this is a moment when he was an absolute rising star. He won an Oscar that year. And he got cast in, like, a ton of big-budget productions. But this is a movie that is the reason why he's such a big star. Because this, if this would have been, like, Jason London or whoever else would have gotten uh, cast in it at the time, like, it would not have been as good. And it's good because it's Ben Affleck. And, like, him, like, Holden and Banky are two of my favorite characters in the whole Askew-universe. Askew, Askew and, uh, yeah, I, I think this, this is as good of acting as he can do. And I, I think and he's amazing. Okay. Okay. That that is a very good choice. No argument here. And definitely an outside the box choice that uh, yeah. 
that uh, you don't necessarily think of. All right, Zach, how about you? Where are you yeah, going? I, w- I went with the exact same strategy as Todd. I, I Basically verbatim. I thought of maybe like four or five that I thought were really good. And I'm going to go with the one that I don't think either of you will do, which is his lead performance in a movie that didn't get a ton of notoriety, but I think is Ben Affleck at his best. And that is 2002's Changing Lanes, a movie that I unequivocally love. I think this is one of the great underrated movies of the 2000s. And he, it's, I think, one of the first movies that he really kind of commands. Um, it was in the era when suddenly it was kind of hip to hate on Ben Affleck and so his role in this movie is uh, he's a douchey lawyer um, who's very corrupt and it's like sort of a perfect role for that time in his career um, and uh, he's really good in it he, he, he commands it yeah, he holds his ground against some really big actors in that movie like Samuel L. Jackson and Sidney Pollock and Tony Collette and um, he basically the movie is this 24-hour period when he gets into this sort of conflict and engages with this conflict with this other guy played by Samuel L. Jackson and uh, he's obviously a lot more privileged than the Samuel L. Jackson character so it's it's kind of these cat and mouse back and forth games and he kind of grapples with his morality as being basically this morally bankrupt uh, corporate attorney. Um, He's really good in the movie and it's a movie that went very underrated and I don't think either of you would pick that role so I think it's like the sort of penultimate douchey Ben Affleck role that kind of goes unrecognized so i wanted to make sure it was on the list that's a horrible pick <laughs> really uh yeah i mean what's wrong that, with it he's great in that movie yeah but it i I've, I've seen that movie and it's a decent movie but it's in the middle of just like muddling average ben affleck action movies i mean right around there you got changing lanes you got the sum of all fears where he plays jack ryan uh, you've got Paycheck right around that time. Those are you've crap got movies. Reindeer Games. Those are yeah, those but, are terrible movies. I, but, Changing Lanes is much better. But what I'm saying is, he's basically playing the same character in all those movies. Oh, that's and not so, true. And so you're gonna pick a movie anti-hero. out of that. He's the anti-hero in Changing Lanes. He's the you know Jack. Everyone loves Jack. You can Ryan. say you can say the same thing about Paycheck. He's the anti-hero in that. And the, Paycheck and the was accountant. shit though. <laughs> it, it, well, there's that. That's a little yeah. But no, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't, All right, I don't maybe like maybe I'm o- maybe I'm overthinking it. Let's hear your pick, Terry. Well, I mean, I, oh, I remember. I, I only watched that movie because you recommended it, Zach. And I, I mean, I remember thinking it was fine, but I I, I always thought it was kind of overblown. How um, you gave it like four stars? I was like, uh, hey, you know what? Hard. Ebert and I, man, we were the only ones that were on that movie. Roger and me. <laughs> Roger and me. I I think it's a little ridiculous that I mean, you look at Ben Affleck's career, and everyone kind of points. Uh, you have. You have the one peak that that was Goodwill Hunting, and then his career just kind of went to crap until 2006 when he does Hollywoodland, and half of our Mount Rushmore, and let, let's face it, three quarters of our Mount Rushmore is going to be pre 2006. Really, I the, uh, anyways, I'm going with Argo uh, as my pick what part because of it? his direction uh, um, or his both. I'm just going with with the movie so I could because I think he's I think it's one of the pinnacles he's only directed a few things but um, I think his career as a director was building up to that because you have I I love Gone Baby Gone the town is is really really good too but then and then Argo just takes it up another notch where you you see how he's been working on his craft and then he put he pulls out one of these movies that um, has the mass appeal as well as showing that he knows what he's doing behind the camera. And then to top it all off, he gives, 
a very uh, a very subtle yet uh, yet powerful performance as uh, as Tony Mendez, the head uh, CIA agent on the on the ground there in uh, in Iran. Um, I I yeah I think he's that's about that's I mean if you're gonna talk about early career, I, I have a feeling the one we're gonna agree on to be the fourth. Uh, is the pinnacle, and then you go in the later part of his career, since he's had this re- resurgence after 2006, I think Argo is the pinnacle of that, too. Um, yeah. That's, so I'm going Argo. Yeah. You make a good point, Terry. His, yeah, and his directing is, it was the most complicated directing of that year, and still, the snub is atrocious. So what? The snub is best director snub. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, d- it didn't make any sense that he got snubbed for that. Okay, so we've got we've got uh, Chasing Amy, we've got Changing Lanes, we've got Argo, and, I mean, if we're going to build a Mount Rushmore of Ben Affleck, Good Will Hunting has to be on it, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I always I'm, thought that he, like, that Matt Damon was the brains of the operation until... Affleck started directing, and when he, like, his screenplay for Gone Baby Gone, I think is one of the best things he's done, too, but, I mean, you realize that he really is the brains between the two, and Good Will Hunting is, it's one of the best movies ever, and the screenplay is one of the best ever, so, yeah, I, I would never argue with that. And I think his performance in it is very, is very good, too. I mean, it's, it's definitely a different performance. It's a side of him that we really haven't seen since. Um, Yeah. Zach, what do you have to say? I, I feel bad about my pick. I, I, I think you convinced me, Terry. I should I should maybe rethink mine. Well, can I tell you some other ones I was thinking about? Yes, please do. <laughs> I was not I was actually not thinking about uh uh Goodwill Hunting. I was thinking about Dazed and Confused, because if we're going with douchey Ben Affleck, it doesn't oh, get better than, than Obanion. That, that so, would have been such a better pick. Okay, can I change my I can change it, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I change fine. I change I change it to Dazed and Confused. We'll rebuild the statue. It's, it, it's still, it's still a pre-Hollywood Land movie, but I, I think that's a much better and more iconic Ben Affleck. It's, it's certainly one of the high. It must maybe it's his highest war performance because I don't I don't see a lot of other actors being quite as effective as he was in that movie, in that role. Uh, I want to mention yeah, though I, his uh, kind of cameo-ish thing in Boiler Room because that movie wouldn't be made if he wasn't attached to it, and his like three scenes he's in are just awesome. His Alec Baldwin impression, yeah, yeah, exactly, and then pretty good. I was also going to mention too. I can't really put this on the list, but I love his performance in Extract, that movie with Jason Bateman. Have either of you seen that? Yes. No. The the Mike Judge movie. I mean, it's not like a great performance or anything, but it's like so out of t- off type. Like he plays this bartender with like facial hair in it, and he's like really I don't know off color with his humor. I I mean that and and that was definitely when he was like. I mean, it was a little. It was post Hollywood Land, but it was really not when he was making any major movies. And it was like a great kind of like reminder that you know, like, hey, I'm here. I'm still doing good work, and he's great in that movie. I think if you give it a little more time, I think the way back might be in consideration for something like this. Uh, but the other one I got to mention that is like the perfect, one of the higher war performances and the perfect melding of actor and role is him and Gone Girl. I think that, because again, if, if you want to talk about douchey Ben Affleck, that that's a different kind of douche that really comes out in that role, where um, 
yeah, it, it's it's just powerful in how in in how he is able to portray that part and how it just kind of fits the persona that he had uh, when he was in his much more public life. Uh, so I think that that is definitely one you got to mention too. The douchiest Ben Affleck is Ben Affleck as Ben Affleck and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back when they're filming Good Will Hunting Two Hunting Season. <laughs> <laughs> But I, other than that, I agree. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, are are we going Goodwill Hunting? Can we agree Goodwill Hunting is the fourth? Yes. Okay. It, it still makes me sad that three fourths of the Mount Rushmore is pre two thousand six, since that's when his more critically acclaimed stuff happened. But uh, I think I feel much better now that we're talking Chasing Amy and Dazed and Confused, and uh, and Gone Girl or not Gone Girl. And uh, the Goodwill Hunting, and then uh, and then Argo, I think that's a that's a much better, much more well-rounded. Mount that's Rushmore. a really strange representation of his career, but I kind of like. <laughs> it is a really, really weird representation for sure. Uh, yes, yes. Okay, all right. So that is our Mount Rushmore. You can tell us how much you disagree. Um, Again, uh, you can contact Zach on that, on how much you disagree. No, hey, I changed my vote. I, I, I agree with what you say, Terry. That was not a great pick. So, Days and Conf- Changing Lanes is a really good movie, but you're right. Days and Confused is the better pick. All right, all right. Okay, let's move on to our power rankings. And power rankings for, uh, for this week. Uh, I won last time. So I got to pick, and this year we are going through our, uh, our best of the decade lists from the 2010s and uh, last time we did uh, directorial debuts which uh, was a lot of fun and this time I got to pick the topic and this is another topic we did uh, 10 years ago as we were looking at the best of the 2000s and I uh, I wanted to pull it back out because I thought it was a lot of fun and that is the funniest movies of the last decade now this is not the best comedies of the last decade this is the funniest movies of the last decade. The the movies that made you laugh out loud and uh, the most over the last 10 years that were uh, that came out in the 2010s. So, best or uh, funniest movies of the past decade. And I got to say this list this time uh, last time this list was easy to make. I felt this time this list was really hard to make because I don't think there's been a lot of really good comedies in the last 10 years. Did, did you guys find kind of a similar a similar thing? There weren't, like, the super funny movies. Well, yeah, there's no there's no iconic, yeah. like, ones everyone's going to agree on, like, Anchorman and The 40-Year-Old Virgin or whatever. Like, yeah, there's... Super bad. Yeah, super bad, yeah. I mean, there's... It, it, it really was difficult, and I feel like a lot of the ones that I was looking at were all kind of in the same tone, which... I was kind of upset by it because I, I, and I realized how hard it was to, to find great comedies in the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it was sad. And then, and then like the, a lot of the, the great comedies that were super critically acclaimed, I didn't necessarily care for either. I, I don't know. So, uh, so we'll see, uh, we'll see how this goes and, uh, we'll see what we picked. Uh, Zach, we're going to you first. Number five on your list. Okay, so uh, I thought this was actually a fairly fun list to make because of exactly what you said. There, there's not going to be a lot. I, I would be surprised if there's a lot of consensus or overlap between our lists. Um, 
in part because I think comedy is so subjective. And I think my type of humor especially is, is different. I, I look for movies with characters that are quirky and weird. I don't necessarily look for funny situations per se. I don't like laugh out loud knee slapping moments. I like characters that are funny because they don't think they're funny. And so a lot of my films were more character study driven than laugh out loud comedy. Um, that being said, my number five film is a film that I know all three of us liked. It would have been thrice approved had we reviewed it on the podcast, had we had a podcast when it came out. And that is, it's by one of the best directors of this decade, Richard Linklater, and that is Everybody Wants Some, a great movie. Uh, we just talked about Dazed and Confused. It, he, uh, Linklater called it the spiritual sequel to uh, Dazed and Confused. And this was just a great time at the movies. I remember it came out summer of 2016, not a great time for our country. It was just an awesome movie to just sit back, have a beer at the theater, just enjoy watching the antics of this goofy a baseball team in Texas in 1980 and all these guys not particularly well-known actors but some really funny banter between them um just a really really fun time and uh you know in in that same vein as Dazed and Confused it doesn't like try to be profound it doesn't try to go for the easy laugh it actually has some sort of profundity a little bit in it because the th characters are really thoughtful and intelligent and uh it's just a classic like Linklater movie it's going to get overshadowed by you know Boyhood and and the before trilogy but um it's one of his best movies of the decade so and we were supposed to pick a line right oh yes uh your favorite line or uh or a great line from the movie yeah okay uh well uh this one was was hard to find because my favorite my favorite character in the movie is the character played by uh Glenn Powell, I think is his name. Yes, Finnegan. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's got the best lines. I couldn't really find um, a lot of great lines in it, but um, he, he does have a pretty funny line where he says, um, have you noticed whenever we're around baseball, we talk about his Now we're actually around a few potentially interesting young women. All you do is talk about baseball. It's a little That's not his best line, but I don't know. It was a funny line I found on IMDb. <laughs> he had funnier lines in the movie. I wish IMDb included funnier lines. Anyway, he was the funniest part of the movie, so I just, I don't know. But the same, I was thinking the same thing. I had trouble coming up with great lines too because the funnier movies were all more like situational. They weren't necessarily like the one-line zingers. Yes, like, exactly. Like there, there's, there's no, uh, there's no like, like Todd said, there's no Anchorman this year where you've got like every other line is a quotable line. Um, yeah, that's a great pick though. I'd forgotten about that movie, and it, it is a great spiritual sequel to uh, to Dazed and Confused. But not the I'm Linklater just, yeah. movie I thought he was going to say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 had, a, I had a feeling Bernie was going to be on that list somewhere, too. Yeah, hey, the list is not over yet. It's true, the list is not over. But I, I think it would, it would be kind of a, a little bit of a crazy move if you picked two Linklater movies to be on your funniest list. Hey, I picked crazy. I picked Ben Affleck's best performance as Changing Lanes, so I'm this all about crazy. That's true. That's true. Look at him; he's going spontaneous. Um, okay, uh, my number five. I'm going next. My number five is a movie from last year, and that is Jojo Rabbit. Uh, I thought this movie was it, it was hilarious. There were so many great parts to this, and just the way it was able to tell this story in this ridiculous way. Uh, I, I just, I just loved it. And my favorite line I've already quoted on the podcast where, um, uh, Yorkie's like, uh, it's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi, but, uh, I'm, so I picked a different line and it's a line from, uh, the, uh, imaginary Adolf Hitler, um, 
where he's talking to Jojo. He says, let them say whatever they want. People used to say a lot of nasty things about me. Oh, this guy's a lunatic. Oh, look at that psycho. He's going to get us all killed. So. <laughs> I feel like that's more of a clever movie, not a funny movie. I, I don't know. It, I, I thought it, I, I laughed out loud in the theater to that movie. So uh, the only other time I may have laughed louder in the movie theater last year was when the flamethrower came out in uh, Once Upon a Time. I think that was the mm. only other time I laughed harder than that I laughed at JoJo. So, JoJo Rabbit's my number five. All right, my number five. I went with a movie all the way back in 2010, and I remember it was one of the first midnight premieres I ever went to, and it was one of the, some of the most fun I've ever had at the theater. And that was when I watched Alexander Aha's Piranha 3D. And nice. It uh. It's completely ridiculous, kind of dumb. It's loaded with like gore and nudity, but I mean, it it's just it, it's a it's a crazy movie and a somewhat sequel, kind of not. And it's totally a party movie and some something that you laugh at the situations, you laugh at the violence, you laugh at the characters. And th- there's a scene I'm gonna quote. It's uh, kind of dumb, but I mean, so is the movie. But if you like that kind of thing, it's uh, Paul Shear and Jerry O'Connell are are talking. The, the, there's like these. Uh, these strippers that are swimming in, like, at the bottom of their boat, and he's like, oh, check it out, they're fish with boobies. He goes, oh, if fish looked like that, I would f**k fish. I would only f**k fish. And, uh, of course, Jerry O'Connell is, uh, just, uh, total, I mean, he just lives in that role. I, I, I love Piranha. I mean, I, I still haven't seen the sequel, unfortunately, but, uh, Piranha 3D is awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, and I guarantee I've never nobody's going to have it on their list. <laughs> no, no, no. have not seen that one. Uh, but I can appreciate that. I can appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Uh, Zach, number four. Okay, number four is a movie that, uh, again, I, I, we didn't review on the podcast, but uh, a movie that maybe like Todd's most recent pick, uh, a movie that maybe I liked more than anyone else, um, and that is Harmony Corinne's The Beach Bum. This movie was awesome, like a great kind of midnight, uh, midnight cult experience. A little bit. Look, comedy's subjective, okay? I mean, I get if you don't find this movie funny. I don't. I get if you don't find the humor in it funny. I just find the notion of like this totally like high Matthew McConaughey as this like drug addicted poet living in Miami, and his name is Moondog, and then he has a book of poems by Moondog, and that's like literally the cover page. I mean, that is just awesome, you know? And then he he goes on these magical adventures in the movie, and it has a great cast. There's some awesome, awesome, like, gags in the movie. My favorite part of the movie, though, is his interactions with the character of Captain Wack, played by Martin Lawrence. Yes. And uh, he is a dol- He, like, does sightseeing dolphins. And um, my favorite line is when Captain Wack is explaining about uh he's only had four deaths on my on his watch four deaths and over eight years of dolphin touring it's a terrific wet record now i've been stripped of my license temporarily on five separate occasions but each time i get reinstated due to a technicality i never quite understood (laughs) i'm obviously not selling martin lawrence very well or underselling him a bit but yeah it's 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 an awesome movie I i don't know why it didn't catch on more but it's it's great harmony corinne has a great sense of humor I have not seen the beach bum, but uh, if it's anything like as absurd as Spring Breakers, I'm sure it's uh, it's worth the watch. Yes, Todd, Todd agrees. Yes, uh, absolutely. 
okay. So, uh, number number four on my list is a 2010 movie, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Uh, I, I just love this movie when it came out. Uh, Michael Sarah, I mean, coming out of some of the some of the uh, the Judd Apatow stuff, he had just done was Super Bad 08 or 09? 07. 07. Same thing. Anyways, so he's coming out of so he's coming out of some of the some of that stuff, and then he gets in and gets a, this movie to himself, and he is perfect as Scott Pilgrim, and uh, as he's fighting for uh, Ramona Flowers and fighting off her seven evil exes. Um, and it, it's just, it's just fun and funny and, um, and there's so many random, random characters. Like you've got Chris Evans before he's Captain America playing this action star, uh, action movie star. And then you've got, uh, Brandon Routh after he'd been Superman who, as a, uh, as this like lactose intolerant guy, I don't even know what it was. It was, it was ridiculous, but, uh. It's been a while since I've seen this movie, but I loved it when it when I saw it. The quote I have for this one: uh, his uh, his friend Wallace is uh, giving him some some love advice, and he's trying to say, "All right, you gotta, yeah, um, you gotta tell her you love her." And so he says, "If you want something bad, you have to fight for it. Step up your game, Scott. Break out the L word. Lesbian? No, the other L word. Lesbians." <laughs> So that, that was that was the best line I could find on IMDb. Again, these movies aren't that quotable, but they're funny. So number four, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. I remember liking. It. I haven't seen that in a long time, like or or thought about it in a long time. So it's cool. It's on your list. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to go back and watch it again. Or or the, so, the the other part I laughed really hard at was he like drew. He was like drawing a sketch of her to f- see if someone knew who who she was, and it was just like a smiley face. It's like. Have you seen this person? Oh yeah, that's Ramona Flowers, and I, I don't know. It was just a really funny moment. Anyways, yeah, it's a great it's a great pick. It is a really really funny movie. And it was one I was thinking about putting on my list. Oh good good. I'm not I'm not too far too far off by picking it. Good. All right, Todd number four. Uh, my number four comes from actually the team that brought you Super Bad, and that is 2016's Sausage Party, which. I honestly think it's one of the best trailers of the decade. If we ever did a list, this would be on it. And I think it might be the best use of Red Band trailer that I've ever seen. Like, I watched that trailer probably at least 25 times before watching the movie. And it it, it didn't really disappoint. I mean, I I thought it was pretty much wall-to-wall humor. It's got an insane cast of uh, of voice actors. And similar to, like, Toy Story, it it really does is clever in the way that you imagine, like, these inanimate objects becoming, or if they were alive, like, what they would be, uh, thinking and saying it at certain times and uh i don't know i, I love it there, there's an exchange between mr grits and Firewater. they say like we're the non-perishables mother we never expire we are immortal these th- this here is uh twink and grits they call me mr grits yeah mr grits whatever you you told them about the crackers you know it's a it's a funny part i mean i'm probably terrible at acting but you know i i love sausage party it's it's it's, it's a really good movie and uh Completely uh, ridiculous. Uh, I never saw Sausage Party. I should probably watch that one. Probably. Me neither. <clears throat> that is unfortunate. You guys haven't seen either of the movies that I mentioned. <laughs> Piranha 3D and Sausage Party. Quite quite a list. Yeah. 
You you said right. not best comedies, funniest movies. <laughs> That's exactly. True. Exactly. Alright. Zach, number three. Okay, my number three funny movie uh comes from very early in the decade, and that is uh City Island, starring Andy Garcia. Really funny movie. Didn't get a lot of attention when it came out. Um, you don't really tend to think of Andy Garcia as a great comic actor, but he's amazing in this movie. This movie is kind of like if... It was like someone was watching The Sopranos and realized that The Sopranos would have made a really funny comedy if there wasn't, like, murder in it. And so this movie's about this uh, this Italian family that lives in an area that I'm sure is being quarantined right now in New York City, City Island. And uh, basically, they're this big Italian family, and they're all keeping secrets from each other. And Andy Garcia, is play- he's the patriarch, he plays the prison guard, or as he likes to say, correctional officer. And he's also an aspiring actor, but he's too afraid to tell his family that uh, he's an aspiring actor. And so the wife, played by Juliana Margulies, is uh, smokes cigarettes, which she tries to hide from her family, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Everyone has this kind of little se- these little secrets, and the the conversations at their dinner dinner table are just, I mean, fantastic. These are like some of the funniest scenes of the decade. Like if you're gonna watch the movie, just just really watch it for those scenes. Those scenes crack me up every single time. And I don't really have a great line from it because, like some of the movies we've said so far, it's not really a movie with like great pithy dialogue in it. But it does come at the end of the movie when they're all confronting each other, and Andy Garcia. Uh, he sees um, his daughter come in in like a stripper's outfit and this uh, con who he he finds out later is his son and they're uh, handcuffed to each other and then Andy Garcia says oh and he grabs a knife and starts running after them and again that's not really a line um, but it's definitely a really funny moment oh yeah it's a really funny movie you'd have to see it to understand it it's pretty good. I, I remember liking it when it came out, but again, I haven't thought about that movie since it came out. I have not seen that one. It's a Terry movie. You'd like it. And I mean that in the best possible way. Well, that's good. Makes me wonder when you say it in the worst way. That's uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, number three on my list is... Uh, 2017 film actually nominated for an Oscar for Best Screenplay, and that is The Big Sick with uh, Kumail Nanjiani uh, and, uh, I oh, who's the co-star? Is it Zoe Kazan? I think it's Zoe Kazan. Yes. Um, uh, based on uh, Kumail Nanjiani's real-life uh, love story with his wife, uh, they co-wrote the, the script. I mean, Kumail Nanjiani is just hilarious, and whenever you get him in something it's gonna be funny uh and especially when it's something like this it's very personal to him but uh my my favorite line and this was the one line i knew i wanted to quote going into this um and it's when uh it's when um emily's dad played by ray romano is talking to to kamel and is asking him about 9 11 is it is like I, i've never i've never talked with you know people and it's like no 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 no. I mean, what's your, what's your stance? He goes, what's my stance on nine eleven? Um, anti. I, it was a tragedy. I mean, we lost nineteen of our best guys. Huh? <laughs> so, uh, that that was that was a joke. Obviously, nine eleven was a terrible tragedy, and it, it's not something funny to joke about. But it it was. <laughs> this is the best line of the movie. One of the best lines of the decade. It, it was great. Um, the line delivery. Only, a line only. Yeah, only only Kumail could could deliver a line like that. So, yeah, number three, big sick. Good choice. Yeah, I like that one. All right, Todd, number three. 
Number three comes from 2018, and that is a movie I've probably seen like five or six times now. It's just really easy to watch, and a great comedy, as well as a really funny movie, and that's Game Night. And it's it's exactly the kind of like high-concept comedy that works better than it ever had any right to be. It's got a really cool cast, and... Uh, it's it's surprising and it's it's kind of outrageous, but I mean it, it just really works. I and uh, I I love the the cameos about like Michael C. Hall, who I didn't even know was in it, and then uh, obviously Jesse Plemons is uh, is great. I, my quote actually features him. Uh, the uh, Val says, "Don't even think about it, pig." And then Jesse Plemons is like, "Can't say I care for that nomenclature in a way that only in that completely dead pants." Jesse Pleeman's way could be said, and I, I, I always, I, I, I mean, there's like tons of, every line he says really is, is great, uh, is, is gag about Frito-Lay and whatever, but, I mean, Game Night is just, I mean, it's a blast, and it, it's, it's totally fun, and it, it holds up on several viewings. I have yet to see Game Night. I'm kind of sad about that. Are you going to see any of my list? I... <laughs> I th- this is one I really 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 wanted to see and it just never worked out for me to see. Maybe this week, well, it's, if I can find it streaming somewhere, I'll watch it. You should watch it, Terry, because I saw it and I disagree with Todd. I I didn't think it was that funny. I gave it like two stars. Oh, okay. Now but Jesse Plemons Jesse Plemons was the best thing in it. You can say that okay. about most things that he's in. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Uh, looks like it's not really streaming anywhere. Bummer. Well, I'll try and find it and watch it soon. Break that tie. All right. Zach, number two. All right, number two. Again, it's one of these movies that, you know, comedy subjective. I shouldn't have to explain myself. It's not a movie that I think a lot of people would think is laugh out loud funny, but it is one of the only two movies this decade, the other being my number one movie, where, like, I got uncontrollable fits of laughter like I was laughing so hard that I woke my wife up as we were she was fell asleep during it and I it's just an I think an unbelievably funny movie and that is uh Welcome to Me with Kristen Wiig um just a, a movie that I remember Todd liked a lot and I think he recommended it to me yep. and I just didn't quite realize how funny it, it really is but the premise is that this woman who has borderline personality disorder wins like 86 million dollars and she uses the money to finance her own uh tv like talk show and oh it's just it's hilarious like and, and again it's totally like not 2000s type humor it's like not apatow humor at all it's not like there's there's funny lines or anything or like big gags it's so much more just about how weird and bizarre this Kristen wig character is i mean she's per- she plays this character to perfection on saturday night live like you've seen her play this character a lot of times in, in some of her her sketches but um she's just awesome and like she makes uh meatloaf on the set that's where that's where my line comes from uh she says uh, and this is in her show ladies and gentlemen meatloaf cake with mashed sweet potato icing with only 433 calories 52 grams of protein and only five kyber five carbohydrates. i think i'm going to have a slice and then the guy back the, like the director's like did she just say kybo carbohydrates uh or carbohydrates um it's it, joan cusack is hilarious in this movie tim uh tim robbins is great and jennifer jason lead has a really good cast too but kristen wig is amazing in this movie and again it's not like laugh out loud but if you like quirky weird humor it is a total laugh out loud movie and i thought it was absolutely hilarious 
Yeah, that, that was my top 10 of the year, and I, I do remember recommending it to you with caution because I know it's a very acquired taste kind of comedy, but I, I, I love that movie. That's a great choice. Oh, it's t- totally acquired taste. But I love acquired taste comedies. Those are usually the funniest movies, I think. Nice. Not seen that one either. Man, I got some comedies to watch. <laughs> Maybe that's why it was so hard for you to make the list. Yeah, yeah. The only one I've seen yeah, is Everybody sense. Wants Some. That's the only one I've seen on any of the lists so far. Well, besides mine. Um, anyways, number two on my list is another Oscar-nominated movie. Uh, this one from 2012 that was nominated for Best Original Song, and that is Ted. This movie was hilarious. Um, Seth MacFarlane, I mean, it, I, I love Family Guy, and this really was just a slice of Family Guy, um, but could be fully r-rated watching this little teddy bear walk around uh the it's just mark Wahlberg and seth mcfarlane here they're just they're just hilarious and if you like family guy you will love ted and uh yeah so if you haven't seen it check it out it's it's awesome the i'm not gonna really quote my quote but the best (laughs) quote is uh it's the the white trash scene where uh, where Ted's like I met a girl and it's like oh yeah no way what what's her name it's like white trash name guess and he goes through this whole list it's like nope 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 wait was it any of those names with a Lynn after it uh huh and it goes through and the best part about it and and I hate to say it but the best part about that scene is the white trash name is actually my mother in law's name Tammy Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> that that was that that yeah that kind of put the topper on making that scene even more magical but uh <laughs> yeah so ted number two yeah that's that's like a I, I i the one movie of the decade that i really felt was like the real consensus broad comedy that really everyone kind of liked and, and so that that one just missed my list but i, I love that choice and, and that scene you're talking about i love how pissed off mark Wahlberg. he's like man i really know this shit like he's like you better not be messing with me <laughs> <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah i mean it got seth MacFarlane hosting the oscars like that that movie it wasn't Family Guy that got him. It was the fact that he was now an Oscar nominee. Got him hosting the Oscars. Yeah, it was great. All right, Todd, number two. Okay, my number two is kind of cheating, but it's a tie between the movie and its sequel, and that's 21 and 22 Jump Street. It's I, I could not choose between them because they are just equally hilarious, and I, uh, Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum is probably, at the time, was probably the most un, unlikely comedy pair you could put together, but... It's it's a it's a it, it has this like bending the genre kind of thing. It's like it makes fun of itself and like in every way that it possibly can. And I I, I kind of find those like like real meta movies like really hilarious. And th- there's an exchange between Nick Offerman and uh, the two of them where he says, "Do you even know your Miranda Mar- Miranda rights?" And he says, "Chan uh, Tatum's like, well, it it it, uh, it obviously starts with you have uh, the the right to re- remain an attorney." Did you just say you have the right to remain an attorney? And Jonah Hill's like, well, you do have the right to remain an attorney if you want to. You know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> those movies are just, those movies are awesome. I, 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 I've seen both of them at least five times. They're great. Uh, yeah. Um, I haven't seen either of those movies Dude. yet. Wow. <laughs> I know, I know. 
This is this is getting bad. Chris Miller right. and Phil Lord, Oscar winners. Yep, yep. All right. Zach, number one. All right, well, my no- my number one, I mean, I can't hide it any longer. You called called me out on it earlier. It is my second Richard Linklater movie on this list, and that is <laughs> Bernie from 2011, a movie that I feel bad was not on my top ten of the decade. It was clearly the funniest movie of the decade. Low-key, Richard Linklater's best movie of the decade. My favorite line in the movie is the, I, the funniest moment of any movie of the 2010s. But again, it's my, my kind of humor, I guess, was weird and acquired. But it's when Bernie has to defend himself in court um, because uh, they've brought in a new uh, jury from this hick town like 30 miles away and they don't know him as well and so one of the onlookers says and Bernie was just going to have to get up there and explain himself to a bunch of St. Augustine cousin court and rednecks over there I mean they got more tattoos than teeth and there ain't no brain in the whole dozen of them and they're supposed to decide big things like this I mean shoot I wouldn't let him work on my car again without context not a very funny line but like you watch the movie, oh my god. I, I actually convulsed from laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. Uh, it's it's like a near-perfect movie. Jack Black is amazing in it. It's it's a great, great pick, in my opinion, that, which is why it's my number one of the, my number one favorite, you know, hilarious comedy of the, of the decade. Mike Later had so many great movies <laughs> this last decade. It's crazy. Have you yeah. seen Bernie, Terry? Maybe watch it. Yeah. Okay, good. Um. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's. I good. feel like it's more subtle humor than than laugh out loud, but it it is a funny movie. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all about just these characters that probably think of themselves as pretty serious, and they're ridiculous in how they view themselves as serious. So it's not based on like dialogue; it's just based on their quirky personalities, which I think is the best kind of humor. All right. Number one on my list. I kind of felt bad putting this number one because, you know, Todd made the whole deal the last time, our last list, that we need to talk about new movies and everything. But uh, number one on my list was actually on my last list for directorial debuts. It's Deadpool. Deadpool was the funniest movie I saw this last decade. And even if you don't like the movie, you got to admit, it's pretty funny. Um... And, and like I said last time, Ryan Reynolds, I mean, he owns this role. And just the way he's able to break the fourth wall is, is just hilarious. And i trying to find my quote here, and I lost it here for a second. So give me one second to find it. Oh, where did it go? I, I, I would have predicted this would have been on Terry's list. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll go with this. One of my favorite scenes is when uh, Wade Wilson and Weasel, played by T.J. Miller, are going back and forth talking about what dead what Wade's face looks like now, and and they're coming up with new uh, new insults for it. Like at one point they say it looks like a testicle with teeth, or uh, you look like an avocado had sex with an older, more disgusting avocado. Um, you have to or, say uh, that douchey like T.J. Miller though, like. <laughs> You don't give it justice. <laughs> I, I I tried I tried, um, or uh, you you looked like you looked like uh, Freddy Krueger had sex with a topographical map of Utah, um, yeah. <laughs> there's 
There's some great ones. But no, the line I had, I oh, I'm mad I can't find it now. It was some it was uh something that was one of the best Oh, here it is. Uh, best moments of breaking the fourth wall where Colossus, one of the X-Men is coming to talk to him. It's like, "You will come talk with Professor Xavier." And he goes, "McAvoy or Stewart? These timelines timelines get so confusing." And it's, it's just yeah, it's just one of those moments like this is this is what Deadpool is. He is totally self-aware that he is in in his own movie, um, and I love it. I love it. So it's my number one. Yeah, I mean, I I kind of hated the movie. I, I'm not a fan of slapstick humor. I mean, that that's pretty much what the whole movie is. But I mean, it does have some good one-liners, I guess. I it, it's a predictable choice to be on one of these lists. It's funny. All right, Todd, number one. Alright, my number one is kind of odd because I never would have thought about this being number one, but, I mean, I kept coming back to it, and I, I, I remember distinctly uh, how, how much I laughed when I watched it in, in the theater, and that's Neighbors. And I, I feel like the, the cast has got amazing chemistry. Unlike the other movies like in, on my list, like the, the sequel, it wasn't as good, but uh, I, I think Zac Efron is awesome in this and the first time i really saw that like wow he really uh, it could be a real comic star and uh, him and dave franco their 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 um, camaraderie and stuff is awesome they kind of go through this like up and down uh friendship thing where you know if he fools around with his his buddy and stuff and so my quote comes like when they're kind of reconciling in the end and uh he's like hey you know bros before hoes and, and they go just go back and forth he's just junk before trunk balls before dolls Padres before I sleep with two Madres, Brad Pitt before grab clit, these nuts before skinny sluts, <laughs> masturbate before ask her to date, beef stew before watching the view, male erection before one direction, Mario and Luigi before Thelma and Louise, Bert and Ernie before squirt and spermie, man purse before regular purses, oh, okay. sports before genital warts, no, no, it's bad, yeah, that got a little weird. John Madden before <laughs> Jasmine from Aladdin. <laughs> it's a great movie. Totally rewatchable. Uh, and more Seth Rogen. Like, he, I mean, he ruled the decade basically again. So, you know. Neighbors and my number uh, Literally, like, ten seconds before you said that, I was looking at the li- my my long list I'd put together. I'm like, dude, I totally undersold, na- undersold Neighbors. Why isn't that in that... Like, in my honorable mentions, at least. And, yeah, then you said it, and I'm like, that's awesome. That's just awesome. Neighbors was awesome. I'm glad you agree. And one that you actually have seen. And one that I've actually seen. The sequel is, isn't is near as good, um, but it is still pretty funny. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Rose Byrne is, like, like sneakily hilarious in like everything she's in yeah yeah she's not she's one of the ones you think of those that... roles and, and, and when i first saw her she was always doing dramas and stuff like uh, the dead girl and stuff like that but she's, she's had some really good comedies this last decade yeah yeah was it instant family all right was what it, was it instant family was that the one with her and mark Wahlberg? right yep yep that was and then she's got She's got the one that's supposed to come out this year with uh, Tiffany Haddish and Selma Hayek, too. I forget what that one's called. Is right. it is it like a boss? Something like I think by something like that. That sounds right. Yeah. All right, Zach, have any honorable mentions? Yes, I do. Uh, uh, we mentioned a couple of them. 
Um, I also had Scott Pilgrim versus the World uh, on my list. Uh, I also had uh, Crazy Stupid Love, The Five Year Engagement. She's out of my league. These are kind of more conventional comedies. Um, I thought Uncut Gems was a hilarious movie. Um, I mean, in terms of just some great laugh out loud moments, I actually thought about putting it on my list. Uh, Tangerine, um, Tour de Pharmacy, which I know the three of us really liked. And then uh, somewhat shamefully, I, I, I have to admit, I did laugh out loud a couple times at Diary of a Whippy Kid, Roderick Rules. That one was for you, Adam. Well done. Well awesome. done. <clears throat> all right well uh my honorable mention i was really bummed that some of some of the uh like late 2000s like apato crew comedies didn't make it in like i was as i was going through this i couldn't remember i was hoping i love you man was a 2010 movie but it was a 2009 movie i was so sad um but i did have one that i put in my honorable mentions and that's uh dinner for schmucks uh that movie it wasn't great but it was it was pretty funny uh, Swiss Army Man was really funny with Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. Um, another kind of traditional comedy, Tag. That was that was pretty funny. Um, the Lego Movie I thought was hilarious. Um, and then uh, Uncle Drew. That movie was pretty funny, uh, especially just with all the all the old NBA players um, and Kyrie. It was pretty good. And the last one on my honorable mention is possibly the most random movie of the decade, but it was pretty funny, just a concept, and that's Rubber with, uh, yes. with the, the killer tire. That was on your long list? Yeah, yeah. I just had to mention it because we had a movie about a, a tire that would blow stuff up. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, Todd, honorable mention. All right. The, the only one on my honorable mention that was mentioned was Ted. That that was really close to making my list. I, I felt bad about leaving top five off my top five because that, that was a really funny movie and it would have been clever, I think, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I also had uh, Trainwreck because uh, I, I love Judd Apatow movies and I thought that one was actually was really funny. Uh, the Dictator, I, I, probably the best Sacha Baron Cohen starring movie, I think. Uh, uh, Seven Psychopaths. And uh, from 2010, Easy A. One of those movies that was really under the radar became a kind of a big hit and really launched Emma Stone into superstardom. And uh, I, I I love the movie. I think it's really funny. All right, all right. Well, now let's get into uh, let's get into our game. We're gonna guess Adam Daly's list. See how we do, Todd. Before we do that, give us our uh, give us our point totals here. I have 17, Terry is catching up with 12, and Zach has been stuck on 10 for a little while. Okay. So, Zach, let's see if you can uh, you can break out of your slump. What do you got for uh, Adam's top five? Okay, I said uh, number five, Deadpool. Number four, Trainwreck. Number three, Sorry to Bother You. Number two, Ingrid Goes West. We know he's a fan of that movie. And uh, number one, The Wolf of Wall Street, which I'm shocked was not on Todd's list. That was one of those, uh, you know, it's... I, if you're talking just pure funniest movies, I wouldn't necessarily put it on there, but it is the, probably the best comedy of the decade, if it's a comedy. If it's a comedy. All right, uh, my list here. Number five, Game Night. Number four, The World's End. Number three, This Is The End. Number two, The Disaster Artist. And number one, Justice League, because it was laughably bad. <laughs> See, I, he's he, he does do those gimmicks, but I don't think he would rank that his number one. I'm going with it. I'm going with All it. All right. 
Alright, my God. number five is episode 40 of the Almost Sideways podcast. Number four, <laughs> I have 21 Jump Street. Number three, Deadpool. Number two, Thor Ragnarok. And number one, The Other Guys. Which I kind of is strange that was not mentioned at all because that's sort of consensus best comedy of the decade, even though I didn't like it. Alright, I gotta go back and look what the that episode 40 was. That was the one where he and Ben were on. And, oh, and plus it's close to it, XXL, which is not a Roman numeral. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You, you, yeah, you're like owning and like doubly owning there. All right. Here's Adam's list. Uh, all right. Here, here's a bunch that were in consideration that didn't, that didn't make his honorable mention that he had to list for us. Uh, this is 40, Horrible Bosses, Sleeping with Other People, Tully, Hobbs and Shaw, Top 5, and Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping. I considered Pop yeah. Star. Yeah, that was, that was on my long list. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, uh, honorable mentions, Jackass 3. Uh, as a big fan of this franchise's final film, Pulls No Punches. The unrated version is even better and shows more hilarious moments. Nice. Um, best line, hello, I'm Johnny Knoxville. Welcome, welcome to Jackass. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> Uh, then he also has, uh, from 2014, Zombievers. Uh, what do you get when Toxic Sludge falls into a lake? Zombie beavers. Just when you've seen every zombie premise, there is a straight-to-video B-movie that appears. It's not a good movie, but a total, uh, guilty pleasure. Seeing teenagers scared of tiny beavers is hilarious. Uh, yeah. There you go. Um, next one, we've got Nobody Speak, Trails of the Free Press. What? Only the scene where Terry Bollea, a.k.a. Hulk Hogan, has to explain to the courtroom that when he refused, uh, a refereed, that when he refereed that he had a 10-inch penis? What? He was alluding to Hulk Hogan, the character, having it that size and not Terry Bollea. That was actually said during his trial. Wow. Okay. And he's talking about the trial with Hulk yeah, Hogan. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah. I've never even heard of that. Okay. Next honorable mention, Behind the Curve. Another documentary, but this one is about Flat Earth. Not much else to say. The final scene is truly funny. They're doing an experiment that they feel will prove the Earth is flat, and then it failed. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then Ready or Not... A total Adam movie, my number 11 film of 2019, was not only over-the-top gory, but also way more hilarious than it had any right to be. Um, okay. It's top five now. Number five, Booksmart. Uh, I had such a blast with this film. I've seen it a handful of times already, and every time I laugh just as hard. This cast uh, has great chemistry and delivers some outrageous moments. And his quote is, what took them, what took them four years? Are we doing it? We are doing in one night. What took them four years, we are doing in one night. I just butchered that about as bad as I possibly could. Okay. Number four is Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Nice. A fun horror romp that plays with all the clicks of horror and puts a comedic twist with them. A bunch of backwoods rednecks are simply trying uh, to help some spring breakers, but the spring breakers uh, think they are murderers. Such a fun, over-the-top film. Um... After another guy dies, and this is his quote, after another guy dies, Dale and Tucker say, you kids gotta be more careful. Okay. Um, I've not seen that movie. Number three is Trainwreck. 
So many great and relatable things in this film. The whole cast gives great moments. Uh, my favorite standout has to be John Cena and LeBron James. Um, so, yeah, Cena as Steven says, Okay, Coco, beware. You know what? You're being an asshole, all right? You know what I do to assholes. I lick them. Oh, that's lovely. Okay. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. It's going uh, number, off rails quickly. Number two. Number two is premature. Uh, I bet you haven't heard of this film, so I'll enlighten you all. Uh, you take the premise of Groundhog Day and put it in a teenage movie, and you get premature. But instead of dying or making the wrong choice to reset the day, the main character simply has to prematurely ejaculate. It's totally juvenile, oh but it does have a lot of heart and bust out in, in laughter moments. It would be hard not to laugh, pun intended. Nominated Dude. for the Cassavetes Award at the Spirit Awards, apparently. <laughs> uh, and, okay, none of us have had anything so far, right? Uh, Zach had Trainwreck, right? Yeah. Did, did Zach have Trainwreck? Oh, okay. Yeah, I had Trainwreck. Well then, I was going to say Todd should win if nobody had anything, because number one is a tie between 21 and 22 Jump Street. <laughs> nice. Well, it was it was too hard to decide between these two funny movies. Both are extremely funny, even after so many rewatches. When uh, this was first announced, I would have never guessed it would have been my favorite laughs of the decade. It was stay it has staying power, and I would love to see more. And his quote is Janko saying, "I thought we had Kate Blanchett with the budget." Okay, well I had that at number four. Twenty one Jump Street I had it for number four. So I don't know if I get exactly a half a point train wreck. I had train wreck at number four. Um, I, I got I, half I, of his I, number I one we, right, but he got one. He was one off of one of them. I don't know. And he and he was yeah he was only one off. I I think, I think Zach I win. has it. Yeah, but I will say it is impressive that a tie Todd had on his list is a tie on his on Adam's list. That is impressive. So Zach oh, yeah. gets his eleven. I think victory. Zach wins. Zach, Zach gets sweet. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's the case. He gets eleven points. I don't know if it's his eleventh victory. We, oh yeah, we, did we had some funky things generous. happen with the with the points in there. <laughs> uh Okay, well that's a uh, that's our power rankings, and now it's time to move into our trivia segment. Before we get to do some trivia, we've got to report on some movies. Zach won last time, which means he's hosting trivia, and he made us watch some stuff. Uh, Todd, what did he make you watch? Uh, I was instructed to watch the 1995 Adam Egoyan movie called Exotica, and. I, I kind of really liked it. It's a psychological thriller about a kind of a classy strip club that's named Exotica. And uh, it sort of follows the obsessive patron named Francis, which is played by Bruce Greenwood. And there's also this other storyline uh, about a pet shop owner by, played by Don McKellar. And uh, the MC of the strip club is uh, Elias Kateas. And the star stripper is Mia Kirshner. It's kind of like a who's who of like, Canadian actors at the time, like Victor Garber's in it, mm -hmm. Sarah Pauly's in it. It's like a, it feels more like a Cronenberg movie, not necessarily like a, a Goyan movie. And uh, I think it does a really good job at keeping you on your toes because every character I feel like is a potential serial killer and like how they act, which I, I kind of think was awesome because I had no idea where it was going in the last 20 minutes or so. I think are really, really strong and uh, really changed the tone of the movie. And uh, it's strange and subtle and 
I, I think it's kind of brilliant and uh, one of the best movies that Ogoyan's made. It's a three and a half star movie, and I'm I'm glad I, I'm glad I watched it. It's a great movie. It is. It's it's uh, a four star movie for me. It's my favorite Ogoyan film. It's it's probably on my top one hundred all time. I, it's one of those rare movies where you could like explain what happens, and you could even like watch the last ten minutes. Um, even without knowing what happened in the previous 90 minutes. And it, it wouldn't matter because it's all so ambiguous and it's totally up to your interpretation. And you're right, like any of those characters could be serial killers. You're not really sure why they do the things they do in the movie. I will say though, Elias Coteus as Eric the DJ is the greatest uh, strip club DJ in movie history. Yeah, I love Elias Coteus. He's always been one of my favorite actors. <laughs> that, uh, that is quite a specific category there. <laughs> I mean, it's not probably not a lot of competition, but I mean, and the the look he's got, like his his hair, like that's just perfect. He, he nailed it. Amazing performance. All right, all right. Well, the movie uh, that Zach made me watch uh, was uh, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, which is actually a movie I'd been wanting to watch for a long time. I just hadn't taken the time to watch it, and it was really funny because I I start. I go and I pull it up on uh, on Canopy to start watching it, and I go, wait a second. It was totally sitting on my DVR uh, that I, I'd recorded it off a of TCM like a year ago, and it had just been sitting on my DVR waiting for me to watch. And so that's how much I wanted to watch it, is it was actually sitting on my DVR waiting for me. Um, and something I thought was really interesting as I was, as I was uh, looking at this movie, so it won the Palme d'Or in 1964, and then... It's, its Oscar history is really fascinating because it was released in the United States in December 1964. It was nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars in 1965, and then it was nominated for four regular Oscars and, in 1966. So did they have a rule at the time that if you're nominated for foreign, you weren't eligible for the others? Or, I mean, it wasn't... It was... It, came out in america in 1964 it should have been up for like it it was nominated for best screenplay uh best original song best score things like that yeah there were a couple other foreign movies in the 60s that had the same thing like z i remember i think it was nominated for academy awards in, in multiple years or uh battle of algiers i think it was another one strange yeah. you know loopholes yeah it's weird anyways uh i love this movie it was awesome um <clears throat> zach when uh, when he told me about it he said Umbrellas of Cherbourg, Damien Chazelle's favorite movie. And after I, as I'm watching it, after I remembered that he said that, all I could think of is how how many parallels there are between this and La La Land. Like, even before I remembered that he said that, there were a couple shots that I'm like, that looks like a shot out of La La Land. Um, and and it's not a bad, it, it's not a bad thing to, uh, to honor, because yeah, it's a really cool movie. Um, every line of dialogue is sung, which is so bizarre and it's a musical but there's no, none of those like show-stopping numbers like there's not like the big you know the big moment where where the main character has their has their ballad that they sing it's just all the dialogue is sung and that's it there's a few musical themes that come back here and there but other than that it's just a movie where they sing the whole thing uh and uh the the set design is awesome. The cinematography is great. Uh, it's and it's a really cool story that, again, the story parallels La La Land a lot. Uh, but uh, it was it was awesome. Uh, four star movie, and I'm glad I finally got a chance to watch it. So thanks, Zach.
you just gotta listen to my t- to me more. You know, I I know the I know the best movies. Actually, there's another reason I wanted you to see this because my three favorite movie musicals are Once, which I know you've seen, Umbrellas yep. of Sherbrooke, which you've now seen, and uh, Dance in the Dark, which you saw a couple podcasts ago. This is true. Three great movie musicals. Very unconventional movie musicals, but... All three of them very unconventional. Yes. That, that is the least that could be said about Dancer in the Dark, is unconventional. Um, Catherine Deneuve in both Umbrellas of Sherbrooke and Dancer in the Dark, by the way. Oh, wow, I didn't even realize the, that, but yeah, you're right. Wow. Yep. Okay, so, Todd, have you seen Umbrellas of Sherbrooke? Yeah, I... It, I mean, it, this, it's really not my jam. I, I think I gave it two and a half stars. I'm not really a fan, but, you know. Ugh, heartless. I, 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 uh, not your jam is, a like, the understatement <laughs> of the of the decade so far. Yeah. All right. So, Zach, trivia time. What are we doing? All right, well, we have, uh... We have three different rounds of trivia this time, and what we're going to be basing this on, we're going to go back and forth like traditional. Um, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. If you don't know, my favorite film critics of all time, especially Roger Ebert. So at the end of each decade, they did their own top movies of the decade list. And so in honor of our best movies of the 2010s list, we're going to start by going over a little bit of their list. We're going to start in the 1970s. And so um, I want you to be able to, to name um, a movie that you think made one of their top 10 lists. If you name a movie that made both their top 10 lists, I will give you two points. So there is added incentive. So we go until the first person misses and then uh, we'll, we'll maybe go to the next decade. So we're going to start in the 1970s. Do the rules make sense? So it could appear yes, on either of their lists, but you get more. It could appear on their e- lists. Yeah. That is correct. Yes, yes. There is some overlap. Not a great deal of overlap, but a few. Yes. So we're going to start in the 1970s, and uh, I think I'm going to start with Todd. I'm going to say The Godfather. The Godfather, part one and two, considered one film. It was both on Ebert's list and Siskel's list, so Todd gets two points for that. They considered it one film. They considered it one film for whatever reason. Yes. Even though Ebert oh, gave the second one three stars. True. Um, Chinatown. Uh, Chinatown did not make either of their lists. Sorry Are you kidding? Say, Jerry. Uh, it was, I want to say, in Ebert's list in 1974. It was his number two of the year in 1974, but it, it did not make his all-decade list for whatever reason. However... Well, I, I won't say anything. Okay, Todd, can you can you steal a couple more points? I assume Annie Hall had to be on Ebert's list, right? Uh, no, it was not. It was on Siskel's list, though. So okay. you kind of got bailed out by Siskel there. So that's. Can you name any more? Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now was on Ebert's list. Uh, any more? Dog Day Afternoon. Dog Day Afternoon was not on either of their lists. So we end the first round with Todd, four points, Terry, zero points. I thought that was um, about as safe as I could go was Chinatown. Good. You know what, what's kind of interesting about Chinatown is it was, his number, it was Ebert's number two of 74. His number four of 74 was Armorcord by Fellini, which was in his top ten of the decade for whatever reason. So he must have went back and changed his vote a little bit. A couple other notable films from the 70s. Last Tango in Paris was on Siskel's list. They didn't actually have these ranked, 
Um, he also had Saturday Night Fever, which I believe Siskel said was his favorite movie of all time. Mean Streets. Um, Ebert had Nashville, The Deer Hunter, which really hurts uh, if you're Todd. I, I didn't know that. And, I thought about that saying that. Yeah, and, I was and, thinking the same thing. And uh, Days of Heaven. What, okay. That movie, what was that, Straight Time? Is that the movie that from the 70s? Was that on either of them? No. That was, I want to say, Siskel's number one of 78, but it, it did not make his all-decade That was one list. of those random movies you, you uh, uh, recommended to me that I was like, that's got to be on Ebert's list of like best movies ever or something, but no, okay. Yes. I mean, it's my number two of 78 as well after The Deer Hunter. It's a great movie. Um, okay, so uh, we're going to move on. The, 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 it is 4 nothing. Todd has the lead, but Terry's going to start the next round, and now we are moving into the 1980s. And there's a little bit of overlap on this list as well. So we're going to start with you, Terry. I think this list is harder because there's just not like those consensus classics necessarily from the 80s. Uh, I'm going to go with Platoon. Platoon made Ebert's list at number nine. Oh, good. <laughs> so you're on the board, barely. Raging Bull? Raging Bull was both of their number one films of the decade. So Todd gets two points for that. Um, Amadeus. Amadeus was on neither of their lists. However, it was Ebert's number one of '84. But for whatever Come reason, on, it did Ebert. Not make the all-decade <laughs> list. Yeah, getting, ha- having some bad luck there, Terry. But uh, that's okay. Oh, grief. Can, Todd, can you name any more on their lists? Reds. Reds. Uh, no. A red. <laughs> uh, you're thinking of Kieslowski's Red, which was a 90s movie, and uh, no. Uh, no. Oh, Ran. I was thinking Ran. Yeah, you're right. Ran did make his I know, list. That was but what I was meaning red. to say, not Red. Yeah. That's alright. Uh, uh, what about some like, o- uh, like Rain Man, maybe? No. Back to the Future? Yeah, I was no. thinking Back to the Future also. No. Uh, Anna and her sisters. No. No. Okay, well, we suck. <laughs> this is not going well. Um, how oh, about... uh, au revoir, les enfants. No, good guess, though. Uh. <laughs> um, how about the movie that they like famously championed in the 80s, which was My Dinner with Andre? I mean, that movie oh, yeah. became famous because of their review. Blue Velvet? Uh, n- yeah, right. Didn't um, one of them loved it, right? <laughs> Ebert hated Blue Velvet. But it's like they got in a huge it? argument about it. Yeah, Siskel did love it, but not that much. It didn't make his all decade list. Um, Siskel had Once Upon a Time in America on his top list of the, of the 80s. Um, both of them had Do the Right Thing on their list. Ebert had E.T. Oh, Do the Right um, Thing. Uh, Siskel had Shoah as his number two of the decade. And uh, let's see, uh, Ebert had um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. So we go into the final round. It's it's not it's not impossible for Terry to to, to come back, but uh, it's going to take a little bit of work. So the '90s list, Siskel um, was not a part of because he had died by that point. So uh, in 2000, um, Roger Ebert and Martin Scorsese put together their right. top ten of the '90s, and we're going to go back to Todd with this one because he he started the '70s list. So Todd, can you think of a movie that appeared on either one of their lists? Uh, Scorsese's list in- included. Yes, Scorsese or Ebert. Um, Horse Thief. The Horse Thief was Scorsese's number one of the decade. (laughs) Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) 
which was a film that wasn't even made in the 90s. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Hoop Dreams. Hoop Dreams appeared on e- Ebert's list as his number one of the decade. So, good call. Good fellas. Goodfellas was on Ebert's list. I don't think Scorsese could have put it on his own list. But, that that uh, would have been fascinating that, if he did. That, that would have been fascinating. It was his, uh, Ebert's number three of the decade. All right, I'm going to go Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction was Ebert's number two of the decade. Fargo? Fargo appeared on both of their lists. Fargo was Ebert's number four of the decade Gosh, and it. Scorsese's number nine of the decade. So Todd gets two points for that. Even when I'm doing well, Todd still pulls away. Uh, um, oh gosh, let's see here. Uh, Schindler's List. Schindler's List was number six on Ebert's list. Good job, Terry. Leaving Las Vegas? Leaving Las Vegas was number eight on Ebert's list. Um... Uh, bullets over Broadway. That's wrong. Bullets over Broadway is wrong, but a good guess, I guess. Yeah, that was a valiant effort. Do you have any more guesses, Todd? Well, I mean, I, I know I've I've seen Scorsese's list. I think he had Bottle Rocket on there, right? Yes, Bottle Rocket was his number seven. Like, like Crash. Crash was number eight. The Cronenberg uh, version, not the. That's about as Paul far Haggis. as I can go without just taking a stab. Okay. Uh, was Titanic so, on either of them? No. Um, the only film that they had overlap on besides Fargo was Malcolm X. Bo- uh, both mm-hmm. of them had that on their lists. Mm-hmm. Um, Ebert also had JFK, and Scorsese had Eyes Wide Shut, Bad Lieutenant, and Breaking the Waves. Oh, oh Ebert also had Breaking the Waves, so I guess that would have been overlap too. So with a final score, uh, let me count these up real fast. 13 to 4, Todd is the victor. Holy crap, Todd. 13 to 4. Well, you got you got the very first one wrong, so yeah. did not help your cause. It was it was a bad beat with Chinatown. It, it was like what? Yeah, that was a bad beat. <clears throat> yeah, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. Um I, I I feel like you gave Todd the advantage by starting with him when obviously Godfather was going to be the first answer. And yeah, but, and then and then it goes to the '90s where he's actually seen the list. Like I'm like, dude, he's gonna say Hoop Dreams. He's like, no, I'm gonna say Scorsese's Number One, which is a film nobody's ever heard of before. I mean, that's that's I've, like him knowing that that Pacino's favorite movie is The Tree of Wooden Clogs. Have you I, seen The Horse Thief, Todd? Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's a uh, yeah. I think I have it like 1988 or something. It's a it, yeah. I don't know how the, he got to the '90s with that, but I think it's my like number one or number two of that year. Obviously, I only saw it because of that recommendation of Marty. Yeah, it's my number one of 1988. Nice. All right. Hard to find. Whatever. All right. I can imagine. Time to move on. Let's wrap this up with our quote of the day. Todd, you won. You get to go first. Alright, well, my quote, since we did funniest comedy movies of the decade, I went with the funniest comedy show of the decade, and that is, of course, Silicon Valley, and Gavin Belson says, failure is growth, failure is learning, but sometimes failure is just failure. 
I feel like we can all relate to that, especially Terry after that performance on trivia. But it's a, it's a great yeah. show. Thanks, man. You're welcome. Thanks. No problem. I was gonna say it about myself. Yeah. If, you know, I, I lost, but <laughs> it was gonna apply to whoever had lost. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but it just applies amazingly to me. Uh, all right. Well, uh, my quote. I'm kind of sad that I wasn't able to find the exact quote, but I'm going to paraphrase as best I can. My quote is actually a, uh, it's a Ben Affleck quote, and it's actually from, it actually was Ben Affleck. And he was, uh, it was when he was on Inside the Actors Studio, which gives me a chance to say R.I.P. James Lipton. Uh, it was a sad day when I saw that he he passed away recently. Um, that That show was like one of the main things that made me geek out over movies. Um, but, uh, so Ben Affleck was on his show kind of early on. It was like late 2000 or early 2000s when he was on and they were talking about, uh, writing Goodwill Hunting and, uh, and the process that he and, uh, Matt Damon went through and, uh, and they, they decided they were just going to go like, they were going to separate. They were each going to write, write their characters and what they were going to, what they were going to play. And so, Ben Affleck writes, is talking about, I write, write this guy, and he's going through all this, and he's, he's got this going on, he's got this going on, and so he comes back, and he's like, I come back, and I'm tell, and telling Matt, you know, this is what, this is what my character's gonna be, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be this, it's gonna be this, and Matt just goes, great, uh, so, uh, my character is like a genius. <laughs> I remember that, that one. Yeah, it, it was, it was a great line, it was, it was perfect, and the best part was, uh, he didn't realize this. Matt Damon had snuck into the theater and was sitting in the back, and the camera had found him by that point, and and showed him just like falling out of his chair laughing at at uh, at Ben Affleck just talking all this crap about Matt Damon while he's while he's up on stage. And at the end of the episode, Matt Damon comes down, and uh, it's revealed that he heard everything that he had said. It was pretty great. So, uh, yeah, R.I.P. James Lipton. Indeed. Yep. All right, Zach. Okay, uh, my line comes from Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, and it's when Ben Affleck is appearing in the movie as uh, himself, and uh, it appears when. Um, hold on, I gotta find the line. Oh crap, I missed it. Okay, uh, so um, it's uh, when the Miramax security guard says, "Echo Base, I've got a 1007, two unauthorized on the lot, requesting backup." And he says, "I thought it was a 1082." And the secu- and then the guard says, "No, sir, 1082 is disappe- is disappearing a dead hooker from Ben Affleck's trailer." And then Echo Base says, "Oh, that Affleck, backup on the way." <laughs> Hunting season, bitch. Uh, that why wasn't that on the list? Great Ben Affleck performance. That would have been like Adam's pick. Probably, probably. All right, and with that, we bring this episode of the podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, tune in next time. We'll be talking more about movies, doing a deep dive, and uh, be uh, be paying attention uh, to uh, some uh, news coming out possibly soon about uh, our Almost Sideways Film Festival. While uh, while all of us are uh, are camped up in our homes, uh, let's watch some movies together. So. Uh, catch us next time. Remember to subscribe, rate, review. Until then, have fun watching movies. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.